Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The 8th annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the 5th annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at TracyHotchnerPets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Waruva remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. Across my desk came, in fact, the cutest-looking book I've ever seen, and I see a lot of books, and it's called The Little Book of Dog Care by Ace Tilton Ratcliffe. Expert advice on giving your dogs their best life. And I thought, well, it is a little book. And I wrote the big book on dog care called The Dog Bible. And I thought, so what could this interesting person have to say in their little book, The Little Book of Dog Care? And as I read it, I discovered this really fascinating person who is giving dog advice, but there's so much more advice they could give us. Ace, welcome to the show. You are a really fascinating person. You, you, you're very um, low key about how cool you are. You're very cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Tracy. I really appreciate. That. What's your wonderful saying? Stay weird, be kind. Stay weird, be kind. Yeah, that's my my life motto. That's so neat. All right, here's the things that that I want to talk about. In addition to the little book of dog care, is the fact that you are a mortuarian. What, I was. I was a mortician, yeah. I mean, what the heck? Can you talk about that for like a few minutes? How, yeah. How does a, <laughs> a lovely young person, youngish, uh, wind up for a long time being a mortician? Uh, you know what's funny is I, <laughs> I actually wanted to do it from the time that I was very, very young, like toddler age. I have a, a very eccentric grandmother who is, you know, a, an artist, very kind of hippie boho type and yes. I was the I was the first grandchild and for whatever reason uh, she started giving me 
books and copies of National Geographic about mummification around the world and particularly in ancient Egypt. And I was just hooked. I was so fascinated. And so my mom talks about going out in public with, you know, this little toe-headed kid who could barely (laughs) even speak, who's giving facts to strangers about how, you know, during the mummification process, the the brain out through the nose and she would be like, please stop. (laughs) Oh, my God. But I knew from the time that I was very young that I wanted to be a mortician. And so I graduated high school and said, you know, this is what I want to do. And my dad said, go get a real degree. So I went and I got a real degree in political science and finished that degree. And I said, okay, I have done all of the things that you have asked of me. Now I'm going to go get my degree in mortuary science. And so I went and I did that. And then I worked in the industry for almost six years in the death care industry, though I did get to work in pet death care afterwards. Yeah, pet death care is a lot of, of what you actually do with your husband, who is a vet, and you have a home euthanasia for pets. So death has been an interest. And this book, by the way, is so not about death. And I was very frustrated. I wanted a fabulous chapter on all the best ways to give your your dog their best death or the best end of life and then death. And it's not in there. But Oh, my goodness. Please write my editor because I'm like, that's a book. I, I want to write that book. Yes. I want to write that you book. You have to write that book. <laughs> in fact, and you are the person to write it, not because of this I'm going to say ghoulish, you know, in in quotation marks, this ghoulish fascination with death since you were pre-verbal, but the fact that you have walked the walk and you do it all the time. Your husband has a regular vet practice, but you also have a home euthanasia practice, which is a really important topic. I mean, so, so many of us don't quite know what to do about the end of our dog's life, and we... And we just have a lot of questions. And being in, we, we wouldn't necessarily be in South Florida where you are and could, you know, knock on your door and say, hi, I think Bozo's, you know, on his last legs. But mm-hmm. I'm sure you have great advice about how to know when, where, if, how, all that stuff. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that we really do, we do everybody in the cycle of disservice. We do veterinarians a disservice when they yes. go through school because they aren't taught how to have these conversations or even how to really give the, the pets the death that they deserve with their families. We do the families a disservice because they don't even know that this is an option. And then we do the pets a disservice because they could be dying at home instead of dying yes. in a medical center that, you know, is unfortunately in many experiences very scary for them. Not everybody. Some, some, right. some pets love the vet, but not everybody. My, I have nutty dogs. They've always loved the vet, but that's neither here nor there. I still was lucky enough to have at least at least half of all of them be home deaths and pretty good ones. But I think because you are a stay weird, be kind person and way outside of kind of whatever the middle of the road is. Thank you, Bohemian Grandma. She sounds great. <laughs> You'd probably have really wonderful, funny, interesting, philosophical, spiritual advice. And that's kind of what the little book of dog care has in it, which it it kind of bleeds through the regular words. And out comes this really interesting person. At one point, you're talking about dogs and children. And you just like offhandedly refer to children as the littles, not with a capital L, just the littles. And I thought, God, that's so cool. That you you just kind of make up your own view of the world and your own words, and the book is full of that. 
just your own quirky, slightly off-center way of looking at dogs and people. You talk a lot about the dogs who share your life. You have a lot of dogs who share your life, and you say you couldn't barely live without them, right? Oh, I... (laughs) I think that I would live a a bereft and despondent life without the dogs in them. They have been so important to me from, uh, you know, before I really even existed when my mom was pregnant. And then, yeah, I talk in the book about how the first time I went out as a tween to visit my grandparents um, by myself, they had to borrow a dog. Yes, you do talk about that. That was (laughs) so cute. Without one. Yeah, I mean, you were you were that person who the world accommodated your needs, which were outside of the ordinary in the best sense. And and I think this book too is outside of the ordinary. I would I would start to read it and think, yeah, well, I don't know if she's gonna if they are gonna be able to tell me something I don't know, or that I need to know, or or some advice that is going to give my dogs now and in the future a better life. But you do. There's a way that you that you look at the dog, the dog's view of the world, the dog's life, the dog human life. It's unique. How did you meet your husband? Were you a patient? Was your dog a patient? Or how did you how did you wind up having a veterinarian for a husband? It seems a very good choice on your part. Well, thank you, first off, for uh, the compliment. That is a huge compliment that I can bring any advice into your life, considering that you wrote the Bible. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, You know, I wish that I had a great story where I, you know, had a meet cute and I brought a dog in. That's how I met Derek. But we actually met on Tinder. (laughs) That's adorable. (laughs) I think you mentioned that in the book, actually. You do mention it in the book, but... I thought maybe you could come up with a better story just on the fly. You seem like the kind you know of person what? who could. If it makes you feel any better, one of the first times he came over to meet my dogs, um, he, he stood up. He was actually helping me. I believe we were hanging up a picture. And uh, Harper, one of the dogs that I mentioned in the book, was sort of underfoot. And I said, oh, you know, let me move her out of the way so you don't step on her and hurt her. And he sort of, you know, very deadpan looked at me. And he was like, well... You know, if I did hurt her, I'd know how to euthanize her. And I was like, okay, I know I'm going to marry this guy. (laughs) You know what? That's exactly what I imagine your life being like. And yet I can see that you come, you, you go with him for the home euthanasias, right? Are you, you're, you're, you're co, you're the co-owner of your home euthanasia pro, pro, uh, business. Yeah, yeah. So we, we've we had Harper's Promise on hold just for a little bit because he's working emergency care right now and death does not keep normal hours. So when you are working right. 14 to 16 hours and then we get a call and a family might need us, it's just not fair to the families right now. But I am quite certain that we will go back to it at some point. But yeah, I, I go with him and not just go with him, but I think that I've fundamentally altered the way that he thinks about death, dying, and the practice of euthanasia, because, you know, when we um, when we had to euthanize Harper, she had congestive heart failure. You know, we set everything up. We had a nice day. We, we went out the day before. We got her a puppuccino. We went for a little walk. I gave her a bath. We got her a collar that had his name on it because we weren't married yet. And then the next day, we euthanized her at home. She was in my lap, and we were listening to our favorite band. And then after that, I knew that I wanted to 
set her up in a casket with a beautiful blanket and with yes. flowers and, you know, with a little bone under her paw. And I wanted to take pictures because I'm also a photographer. And so Derek finished the euthanasia and he was like, okay, well, I'm going to go take a shower now because <laughs> you get to go to the crematory. And I was like, oh, no, no, we're not, we're not done. This is where, this is where the next step begins. Yes. And that was really a first experience for him. And from there, I think, is really how we try to focus on death and dying. It's, it's such a process, and it does not stop in the moment where the heartbeat stops or, or where, you know, the spirit of this little creature that you have loved for so many yes. years goes off into whatever, whatever you think comes next. So that's not the end of the grieving process for those of us who are left behind. And I think you can really fundamentally alter the way that you move forward in grief with the way that you participate in ritual during the death and dying process. You say that perfectly, just as I imagined you might. And I'm much more like Derek, like, okay, the dog's suffering. Could the vet and her tech come over, please? And okay, I'll pat her a little bit and say, bye, Jazzy, loved you. And okay, her heart has stopped. Okay, we're done now, because I come from this very atheist background and view a lot of rituals as kind of voodoo, which they are, and they have a great value, but I was never imbued with any of them as a child, totally. for which mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't regret that at all. But, it, but the idea of ritual and the, the wrapping up and the casket and, and all that stuff and flowers and the bone, you talk about it in the book, Although you don't talk about it to help us as readers, because I hope that'll be the next book, Ace Tilton on a happy death or a dignified death or a satisfying death. A good death. A good yeah. death, <laughs> exactly. But the, the question I have to ask you about this book, because it, you, you absolutely fascinate me. You also are disabled and you have a wheelchair um, emblem that I've never seen before on your website. Can you say something about that? Is, is there something we should all be more aware of about disabled people or is disabled now a non-PC word and I'm using the wrong word? No, actually disabled is the word that, I mean, oh, good. I think sort of like ritual, it's one of those things where everybody's going to have their own way of approaching things and some people might be more comfortable with one form of verbiage versus another. I think one of the things that you have to learn when you're doing any kind of you know, social justice or activism work is that not everybody is going to be on the same page. And if you try to force your outlook on the world, then you're not actually changing the world. You're just right. kind of being a tyrant. Um, <laughs> right. I think I think the thing that is so important to remember about disability is that it's it's a twofold thing. And the first is that you can't always see it. I think so many people right. who think that they don't have disabled people in their lives have this expectation of what disability looks like or sounds like or feels like. But then I think the second part is that disability at one point or another in our lives is going to come for or touch us all. It's going to come for us in old age. It's going to come for us through an accident. It's going to come for us just by virtue of being a human. Right. And that's certainly what happened to me. You know, I, I spent my, my whole life until I was 26 years old under the, the auspices of being a non-disabled person until I was diagnosed with a degenerative disease. And that really altered my worldview because, <laughs> you know, here you have this one idea that you're a specific kind of person, but all of that can change in, in a moment. And in some ways, I think disability and death are very similar um, in that, that I think it's much closer to us than we expect it to be. And it can be 
affecting in ways that we don't really have to think about until we are dealing with it in our own way, whether that be in our own bodies or in our families. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good question. That's a complicated one. Disability is complicated. I think I'll probably spend my whole life trying to reconcile what it means and how it affects my life and, and how it affects people around us and how we think about it and how, you know, eugenics in America thinks about disability right. and disabled people. It's, it's very complicated. And when you get into the history, even more so as with so many things, I think here in America. It, for sure. I, I just really appreciate you talking about it so openly. I just, the reason I asked, and people say, well, wait a minute, don't you want to talk about the little book of dog terror? I do. But it's really the person who wrote it is what makes the book interesting. There's good information. There's good facts. But it's a, a worldview, a point of view that I think this book makes you chuckle. I chuckled a lot. It's funny, but not laugh out loud. Just like, wow, there's Ace being Ace again. And I think it's it's just delightful to be able to see another point of view about dogs in particular, but even the world and life from the point of view of someone who's always had, and I didn't know this until we started the conversation, a funny view of the world. You think <laughs> and you thought since you were this little toe-headed human that it was really funny that the brains come out through the nose of a dead mummied person. And, you know, not a lot of people would think that was interesting at any age, but the fact that you did and that you continued to follow that path of fascination, it, it really informs how you look at the world differently from a different, yeah. a different angle. And I think that's what makes the book really special. I, I hope you'll come back on the show and I don't have to tell anybody, you know, specific good advice in the little book of dog care. It's expert advice on giving your dogs their best life. I highly recommend it. But I hope you'll come back and we'll talk about some of the other things that I think you can teach us about the world around us and a different way of looking at it. Somebody, uh, a, a veterinarian that I'm going to be interviewing soon on exotic pets about uh, rabbits, I think, has a signature, and I think I shared the signature of her email with you, and it really mm -hmm. stuck with me, and I just want to sort of move forward in my life, but also on this show and in all my shows, with the idea of be particularly kind, because everybody is fighting some sort of a battle you know nothing about. So I just want to say, Ace, that you really bring that to life in this book and probably in all of your work. And I really appreciate you for that. So thank, thank you, you so for the much, book and, and for who you are and what you're doing with your life. I think it's really cool. And this is, as you said in the book, the cutest looking little book you'll ever see. And it is. You just have to own it just because you look at it and it makes you smile. Thank you again for being here. Thank you so much, Tracy. I really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, let me tell you, the cover of that book, it makes me want to go get a puppy, even though I Very dangerous. Need one. Very dangerous. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I would love to chat with you again. Wonderful. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. 
Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human-edible, ethically-sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative Dog Chew No Hide and the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky blue Weimarano Maisie will eat.